0: hello everyone welcome to the network collective community roundtable so i've titled today's show the smorgasbord because we're winging it we're going without a net and we're talking about whatever the hell we want to so join us on this choose your own adventure well really that only (laughs) really applies to us but i guess you can enjoy it as we wind our way through the technical and non-technical things that have risen to the surface as important to us on this random september evening we'll be right back with today's episode So before getting started, I wanted to thank NVIDIA for sponsoring today's episode. NVIDIA is the leader in open networking, not just in hardware and software, but end-to-end and at all layers of your networking stack. We'll be sharing more about what they are doing in the networking space later on in the episode. So everyone, I'm Jordan Martin. Joining me tonight is Tony E. Um, Both should be familiar faces, and it's just the two of us tonight. So Tony, I'm glad you're here tonight. What is in the world have you been up to?
1: Oh man, Jordan, I'm so glad to be here. Um, I've been very, very busy lately. Um, it has been one heck of a summer. Uh, and I think summer is kind of like coming to a close, right? Kids are going well, back to school. That way. <laughs> yeah. Well, my kids are doing, you know, e-learning, uh, uh remote school, but,
0: uh, going, going but yeah, back that, to school in air quotes. Yes. Yeah.
1: The, the summer How much of a
0: are you playing?
1: Uh, um, you know what, it's not going well at my house. Like, let's just be honest. Um, uh, we weren't a homeschool family, right? My kids went to public school. Um, I say went because they're they're not there this year, um, but they went to public school. And um, within the first two days, uh, the two of my school age children uh, were in tears for different reasons. It has just been uh, a crazy change, you know. It, you know, everyone's been through the COVID and this summer and pandemic, and and most of us have survived through it. Um, and we think that I, sometimes I think we kind of like take the kids emotions for granted, uh, and think that they're just surviving with us, uh, without thinking that when school starts, that's a change in their life. You know what I mean? It's a change of gears. Summer has ended. School has started. And, and when kids go through that sort of change, it can bring about some emotions. And I think that's what happened, uh, uh, to my family.
0: That's a big event. Take yeah. the pandemic out of it. I mean, that's just a, that's just a big transition as kids go back to school to begin with. Oh yeah, and then every, we every year starting school whole new processes. This whole new dynamic of some people are in school full time, some people are home full time, some people are doing this hybrid thing, and you always have this looming, you know, uh, possible infection that's there. Everyone trying to be careful about that. Like that's just a lot of weight. And yeah, I'm with you. Like I think the kids very bear, uh, bear the brunt. Uh, of that sometimes, uh, especially as we make some of these transitions, and uh, so you said you weren't a homeschool family. We've kind of been lucky because we uh, we we homeschool our kids, and so for us through the entire pandemic, um, it's interesting too because we're sitting here talking about COVID. So so today I don't know if you know, like I have a I have a count up timer <laughs> from <laughs> from the day that we we chose to start mitigating the risks for our family. Um, I remember the day specifically because I just come back from a trip. It was just after we shut down travel to Europe and like we were starting to take things very seriously. And it was like, oh, OK, we have to start taking this seriously as well. And uh, we just passed in Pennsylvania the six month mark. Mm-hmm. So it's half a year now um, of, of navigate. Now we're now we're dealing with school. And, and it's just I think a lot of people when it started were really hoping that it would be this like short run thing. And here we are six months in. I think people have adapted a lot and and we've seen that both technically and and, and personally. But it's been uh, it's been really interesting. I think it's really interesting that uh, how much we all have navigated in six months. And I yeah. think that that applies, like I said, both professionally and personally. We've had to navigate quite a bit, yeah, of, of change. I know that you used to work in the office all the time, yep. And so there's a big change for you. You're still at home, correct? Still at home. i've I've been to the office uh, two times in I think probably six
1: months as well, yeah, two right.
0: times no, uh, i I work at I work at home regularly out of my office. Uh, in, in like literally like 15 steps from my bedroom, but I used to travel a fair amount, going out to customers, and that of course isn't happening. So now, my kids aren't exactly upset. Dad's home all the time, <laughs> you know. Like we get we uh, get a lot more FaceTime, which is awesome. Um, but at the same time, it's obviously been a bit disruptive. In that you know, <laughs> we have to figure out new ways to deliver the work that we do professionally, and that's a, yeah. that's a challenge. You just navigated a huge project. I think we're going to talk about that. Yeah, uh, in a little bit. Uh, I, I had, and maybe, maybe I'm not alone in this. I don't think I'm alone in this. I had the mistaken notion that I was going to have more free time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had the idea that because of the fact that a bunch of the things that I would typically and normally do were taken away from me, I'm not going to be going out to restaurants. I'm not going to be seeing my friends. I'm not going to, you know, like all of that personal stuff that you did that you're going to end up with more free time. And I think we all discovered that that wasn't necessarily as true as we thought it was, at least those yeah. of us who thought we were going to have that. Yeah. It's it's amazing how much other stuff filled those voids. Yeah. Um, and, and,
1: and in in fact, uh, I, I know you're not alone. I, I felt the same way and I know many others did. And one of the things that I thought I was going to get back was commuting time. I know a lot of people who are working from home when COVID started, when, when stay home started, you know, everyone was like, oh, I'm not, I don't have to commute to work anymore and this, that, and the other. And even I was enjoying that. I was like, wait a second, I can wake up later. I come downstairs in my pajamas, you know, I, I do work and, um, and I thought I was going to get that time back, but I never did. I thought I was going to give me an extra hour, hour and a half, you know, 40 minutes each way. Uh. I, I didn't. I never got that time back, um, and in and in fact, in fact, throughout this throughout this whole time, what a, a lot of people have developed hobbies and started cooking and baking their own bread and doing all these things, and and I've done something uh, this summer because of COVID that I thought I would never do, which is um, I started to look inward in myself to get myself through this stay home, this pandemic, this big life change. It was hard right. and, uh, and I needed to help myself. And so I did, um, but I thought, I thought it was going to be much more positive. <laughs> I thought you, you I
0: thought,
1: thought working from home was going to be like yeah. all positive and it was going to be a great experience. People always talked about it. Even when I was working in the office every day, working from home once in a while, occasionally, you know, cause I had a doctor's appointment that day. So I'll work from home. I'll go to my doctor's appointment. I'll come back home. You know, it was a nice change, but doing this every day really shook up my life to a point. It put me in some dark places this summer oh, and, nice. um, but, but it's okay because, because you know, sur- I say surviving it, but, but get going through those dark times, you know, makes me stronger when I come out the other side. And, and I certainly am. That's um, good. Yeah, it, it's been tough. But when we were talking about, so that my personal growth, so my personal growth came from looking inward, sort of mental health, physical well-being, um, and dealing with isolation, it's killing me. I'm a social butterfly, man. <laughs> and, and being cut off from the world is, is absolutely killing me. Oh, but, but going back to this, going back to um, traveling to work, commuting, what I found was that I needed the commute to work and from work as my, as my gearing up and gearing down time of my day. Mm-hmm. Right. When I'm driving to work and I'm listening to the morning radio or I'm listening to a podcast, your favorite network collective episode or <laughs> listening to something, um, you know, I, I'm gearing up for work. And when I get to work, you know, I'm, I've had my coffee in the car, you know, I'm ready to get started. And when I leave work at the end of the day and I'm driving home, I'm listening to music or podcasts or uh, an audio book, you know, um, and I get that sort of wind down time. Um, and I found that working from home, I don't have that. And it became very hard, actually, just to be able to leave, you know, where I'm recording this from right now, leave this office and go out that door. And instantly, I'm a father of three, you know, and a husband. Uh, and I don't have that wind down time, you know, and it was doing, uh, you know, sort of weird things uh, to me mentally. You know, I tried to go out for a walk afterwards. It's just not the same. It's just not the same. I needed the commute.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting. I used to, I mean, obviously, I haven't always worked from home. Um, I used to treasure uh, commute times to a, to a point, you don't want them to be too long. Right. But but having a good half hour to decompress after the work day was incredibly valuable because then I could walk through the door and not be carrying the weight of whatever it was, like, you know, whatever exactly. garbage I dealt with at the end of the day from work or whatever stress was there. I was able to be very intentional about that. And exactly. as part of coming home, when when I started working from home more often, I had to find those things. Like you, you still have to find that time. And I, I there's so many people tony who are in the same shoes as you when it comes to navigating that process and i've tried to i i everyone i've spoken to that i've tried to talk to about it like this is not just working from home this is working from home during a pandemic right right so it's not just the transition to working from home you're adding all the stress of the fact of all of the things that are going on in the world and all the things that are going on in the media all the social stuff that's been going on like there's just all of this weight uh that's on top of this very hard transition because we build processes to make you know, to, to, to get through the day and to cope and to do the things that we need to do so that we can be the people who we need to be. And then it just all changed on a dime. There was no, there's no process where you got to make a decision. Cause for me, Mm -hmm. I got to make a decision. I got to think about it. Okay. I'm going to be working from home now. What are the things that I'm going to miss? How do I, no, 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 no. You just like one day, all of a sudden you're like, guess what? you're now working from home and you had to navigate all that while doing it. And that's incredibly difficult.
1: Yeah. You know, I remember, you know, like I said, you know, everyone always said, you know, working from home is great. You know, all these people who, who embrace it. And, um, and so when, you know, the stay home orders hit and I was started working from home, I was like, you know, I'm like looking around, I'm like, this is great. Like this is, this is what the glamorous life everyone was talking about. And, uh, you know, I remember people saying like, you know there there've been a lot of uh, demonstrations for people like you know you can't keep us in our houses you know and they want to go outside and start right. shopping and and this was months and months and months ago very early on in the stay home period people started giving up and and you know wanting to kick in the doors to stores That's very true and and people you know were saying in response to that like you mean to tell me you can't just sit home for a few months like how hard is that to do but like I don't know. I, I get it. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> you, I do
0: this. don't have a whole lot of choice, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Like it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. I get that. You it, mentioned, you know what,
1: it, it fits some people. It doesn't fit all people, but you know, I'm here doing it. And uh, you know, I hope everyone can and and continues to stay safe.
0: Yeah, I think everyone, I I think everybody, I mean, to some degree is navigating this change. I think that you're not alone, right? Because I'm assuming that, you know, the stuff that you went through over this past summer, when you say you kind of sort of like, that stuff wasn't brand new. It's just the weight and the pressure and yeah. all this stuff just kind of exposed it. I think there's a, yeah, lot it of, it out. a lot of people who are dealing with that. I'm definitely no psychologist, so don't, you know, <laughs> I've got zero added value as a company <laughs> navigating this stuff. But I definitely have seen... A lot of people that I know that are having a very hard time. That's not, yes. um, that's not uncommon. These are these are not weak. It's not whatever. Like these are very strong people, very capable people. It's just a matter of it's just a hard time. Like yeah. at the end of the day, it's just a hard time. Yeah, and we all are going to have to navigate it through our own journey, whatever that looks like. <laughs> Part of mine. You mentioned the hobbies. I have a funny story with hobbies. Um, so I, in all of my expected free time, I thought I was going to start a hobby. Um, not a starter hobby. So about a year, year and a half ago, I started getting into astronomy. I went out and I bought a telescope and like, this was my thing that was non-technical, which turns out to be incredibly technical, by the way. Um, (laughs) Like I use just as much technology and uh, the components I use in my day job when I do astronomy, which is appealing, but it's not a good escape. So if you're considering astronomy as an escape from technology, it's a bad choice. Um, But, (laughs) But I was like, this is a cool thing. It's a very like, get outside you don't stay outside you don't stay inside get outside be outside for hours you know see things that are outside the scope of 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 your current reality and and yeah. get some perspective i mean there's you can, i can get very yeah, you know yeah, yeah. metaphorical or, or dig into the uh dig into that type of stuff but like it was i had started this hobby and I'm like okay well Now that I have this time, I've always loved photography and there's this very interesting intersection between astronomy and photography and astrophotography. It's it's an amazing hobby, but you need some specialized gear. And so I'm like, okay, like that's fine. You know, like that fits within my income. I can go do that. I can go buy that gear and it'll be something that I'll just pour into when I have all of my, you know, I'm putting up air quotes, right? All my Mm -hmm. free time. And uh, and the free time never materialized, and the gear didn't either, because it turns out that you know pandemics really disrupt uh, global supply chains, and on top of that, pandemics also drive a lot of people to new hobbies. <laughs> so me thinking I'm I have this original or somewhat unique course of things I'm going to do, it turns out that everybody who was in astronomy wanted to do the same things. And so what I really learned, and this is the moral of the story here, is that I didn't pick up a new hobby in astrophotography. Although I did that and I'm finally able to start, you know, working on that. And I've I've had some fun with that. My real hobby was sourcing absolutely impossible to find things. That was my hobby. (laughs) It's like, how can I side skirt the supply chain issues and find the one person in the world who has this thing i've bought astronomy gear that came from portugal um to the united states during all of this like used gear because it was the only place i could find it um so it's been a, it's been a it's been interesting and i don't think i'm alone because i think there's a lot of other people if you have any hobby or even like sourcing stuff for your house there was a lot of people who were trying to just like build their desks up or their home workstations because mm-hmm. now they're having to work there all day and it makes sense like try buying a desk or buying a webcam or buying lighting uh, I just got an email from a green screen I ordered in June, the mm-hmm. beginning of June, uh, that that they finally just canceled the order because they still haven't delivered yeah. it. It's just forget getting one. You're you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to get one. So it's like okay. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was funny. I, I changed my hobby from astrophotography to sourcing and finding impossible to find things. <laughs>
1: <Just> <laughs> but you know, I'm picturing you out there at the mountaintop. Uh, with, uh, with your gear set up, or you're just getting ready. I'm picturing this like a comic strip and, and you got you pulled your, your car up and you get the trunk hatch open and you're emptying gear out and you're plugging cables in and all this. And just as the sun is setting and it's time to turn everything on and you look in the eyepiece to the telescope and it says updating. <laughs> <laughs> updating.
0: It's, it's funny that you say that because uh, I, got, I had the opportunity to go to a dark sky spot here in Pennsylvania on the East Coast. Uh, this is a... Very uncommon thing. We don't have a lot of dark sky on the East Coast because we have lots of cities that all just kind of back up to each other. And there's not a whole lot of places. We just have a ton of light pollution. And so the opportunity to go to a dark sky spot is a special opportunity if you're into astronomy and you live on the East Coast. Now, the people on the West Coast are laughing at me because they can just, you know, drive 15 minutes from their house and they're in dark sky. But, um... I got to go, and uh, we're in the middle of this field in, in central Pennsylvania, and I literally did firmware updates to my telescope and everything else because I needed it to, to be able to do something. And I'm like, <laughs> this doesn't feel very remote. Or And I literally was top of the hill, exactly what you said, in the dark sky spot, uh, to do that. It's it's funny that you bring that up. No, it's, it's it's amazing the intersection between the two. And someday I would love to have that conversation with people who care. I won't bore everybody on this show about <laughs> astrophotography. But there's a lot of nuance to uh, uh, to making that happen. And uh, and so, yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting. But the the nice thing is I've, I've now got it and I've got to, you know, got to start doing Good. it some. And the other nice thing is that even though you don't have free time, astronomy can happen in the middle of the night. So I just had to sacrifice all my sleep. That's all. That's it. <laughs> That's it's it. very it's simple. simple. You just sleep. So, you know, <laughs> there's been several of those nights where you finally get the one clear night. Oh, by the way, right now, as we're recording this, there's something like 87 wildfires on the West Coast. Do you want to know what that does to the night sky on the East Coast? Just nothing but smoke right now. Wow. And so uh, and so, we finally like it's a new moon, which is great for astrophotography. You don't have a lot of light pollution from the moon. We have clear skies, no clouds at all, but we have nothing but just a thick layer of smoke and you can't see a thing. So that's just the way it works. One of these months, <laughs> one of these months, everything will align and be able to do it. All all. Right. Not in 2020. <laughs> it won't. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. So, uh, so you have been working on a work project, like yeah. a serious work project. It's been going on for months. Yeah. I think we talked about it on a previous show, at least a little bit. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so what have you been working on? I, I'm curious. So, so around the time that I,
1: that I started, uh, actually, gosh, right when the work from home started, uh, right when the, the, uh, people started taking COVID seriously was right when this project was supposed to kick off. Like I had an in-person kickoff meeting, you know, (laughs) Uh, you know, with all the department heads and everybody who is all the engineers and sales teams and all the, all the people who show up for those meetings. And, and that was in person. And it wasn't shortly after that when we were all forced to work from home and my project was supposed to start then. And really it got put on hold for, I mean, not just on hold. Everyone was always like trying to find a way to do this remotely for about a month and a half, maybe. Um, so it really delayed my project. You know, we were supposed to start a lot earlier than we did. Uh, but once uh, once everyone ironed out, you know, the remote access problems and and how we were all going to do this because we all anticipated working with each other's teams. You know, all the different teams that need to be involved. Uh, all together in one one office space, you know, to be able to go around the corner and ask so-and-so at their desk to do something and and draw things up on the whiteboard and, and share them. And um, again, working from home is is something that's new to me and new to a lot of people. So we were all prepared to do this in person. Um, So that didn't happen. But uh, what the project was, was a firewall migration. And um, so what we were doing is we were taking physical firewalls and migrating them over to their virtual counterparts. Um, this solved uh, a business need uh, that they had, which was the hardware appliances were going end of life, and um, and they didn't want to go through the the costly ex- capital expenditure of uh, hardware refresh. Uh, and they enjoyed the product, uh, which was Palo Alto, and um, so they went ahead and bought licenses so we can run tons of virtual Palo Altos. And we did some testing you know, prior to it. And um, for what they were using, as far as capacity and throughput and stuff like that, uh, the virtuals were going to be just fine, and um, and so it was a viable option. And so that's what we moved forward with. So at the uh, I was going to say at the end of the day, but it's not at the end of the day. It's months later. <laughs> Today, actually, as we're recording this, was supposed to be my very last virtual, a uh, physical to virtual migration.
0: We were planning on celebrating, throwing a big party and all of that. That's but, right. But then?
1: <laughs> uh, this afternoon, I got word that my very last site uh, canceled their migration and postponed it till next week uh, so that they can solve some failover issues. Um, so that's, uh, that's actually pretty common, not the rescheduling and canceling, but... Uh, the site that I'm working on typically tests their failover or works out any failover issues that they may have weeks prior to me engaging with a firewall migration so that when we go from one site to another, um, they're able to use an alternate circuit. You know, you can imagine that every site that I do is dual homed, right? So there's a primary and a backup. Well, sometimes, for whatever reason, they haven't failed over in a long time. And they haven't tested it, so they don't know if it works, um, or they have failed over because something went wrong at some point, and they realized what doesn't work, right? And the whole idea is, you know, uh, they have to have uptime, so these things have to work. And when I take down a site to do a firewall migration, you know, I'm actually disconnecting the physical circuitry um, logically and pl- replumbing it in through a VM. So I'm going to take a site down, and they have to what's called alt route you know, go through their secondary circuit. And, um, and so that's what happened. That's what delayed me for, for today, uh, was a site that was just getting their alt routing solved today and they're going to test it over the next few days and then they'll be ready for me next week.
0: So how disappointed were you when your boss called you to tell you that?
1: (laughs) Um, you know what? It it actually, it's not that big a deal. Um, the cutovers, uh, this is going to be my last one. So let's put some numbers out there. Um, I was looking at it today. I've done 144 VMs for over 100 sites. Um, It's been a lot of work. And in the past few weeks, it has really ramped up to an aggressive schedule. Um, So having one site moved over, it's not that big. Moved uh, to the the right in the schedule is not that big a deal. I'm pretty confident we can do this one pretty quickly. Uh, hopefully without issues and if uh, anything comes <laughs> up but 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 if anything comes up i have a hundred sites practice
0: right you know what i mean it's so the answer that there's no better feeling than a project that's that big a multi-month project and getting to the end pressing the last keystroke and being able just to you know uh you know dust off your hands stand up and walk away in this case virtually because you're not actually standing on site or whatever yeah yeah it'd just be like it's done and I can go grab my drink, and I can go sit down, and I don't have to think about this project uh, again. I've accomplished something, and so I maybe I, maybe may you're uh, a better uh, or more patient person than me. But to me, uh, that satisfaction of doing that that would have been disappointing <laughs> to uh, to be like I'm done today, and then to not have it be done today. Uh, but it's just it's the world we live in, right? Like it's it's never straightforward. <laughs> it's never yeah. really. A, and
1: uh, it's it's going to be no problem. I hope. But uh, but yeah, it, it's been a it's been a really fun project, um, and it's not the first time that I've done something sort of to this size and scale. Um, even I've done bigger projects, and I just think that there are so many sort of technical parallels when it comes to for gearing up for multi-site implementations. You know, when you're sort of doing something over and over and over, Um, I've been in uh, this is why I got in. (laughs) This is what I do for my company. Right. I I do this for customers. And so I'll go and meet with a customer and they have a large deployment of X, whatever X is going to be, you know, and and so we have to look at it at the 30,000 foot level, the 10,000 foot level and deep in the weeds and be able to make it so we can do these implementations as fast and as accurately as possible with the fewest amount of changes. You know, that's what it's really about. And, um, and, uh, I always get asked this question before we start a project. Well, how long do you think it's going to take?
0: Right. When you know nothing about, yeah, this is the world I I I live in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how long do you think it's going to take? You have 3000 switches that need to go in. How long do you think it's going to take? Well, why don't we start with what switches are you running today? What features are you running today? Yeah. How are they connected today? <laughs> like, there's no way I can answer that question until about, I don't know, four hours from now after I've collected an appropriate amount of data where I can even just give a ballpark. It could be it could be two weeks, it could be two years, depending on yeah, yeah all but kinds of variables. But, but my answer to that
1: um, is, is similar to yours, right? There's, there's absolutely no way to predict how long something is going to take. But what I can tell you is I've done enough of these projects in my career to know the trend. I, I call it the economy of repetition, all right? Whatever, however long the first one takes me to do, the second one is gonna take me half or less as long. Right, that's true. The third one is gonna take half or less time than the second one.
0: Right, and by the time you and, hit the by the time you hit the tenth one, you're at your optimum.
1: Yeah, boom. you know it can't go any faster. Right, um, you have it all worked out, and and so so there's in doing projects like this over and over and over, and whether it's a firewall migration or routing at the edge or switches, data center switches, you know any sort of sort of hardware refresh, replacement, migration, upgrade um, like this, it you always follow that economy of motion. What a uh, the the economy of repetition and And when you do your first one, you write out a plan, right, configs. You write out a plan of what you think is going to happen and what you expect. And you run with it, right? And you do it. You do all the changes and everything that's needed and then everything that you didn't know you needed, you do that as well. Then when you do your second cutover, you have a frame of reference. You have that first one to compare to. So you're using the same plan or your updated plan And you get to see all of the things that are the same from one site to the next, and then all of the things that aren't the same. Once you do the third one, that's when you really get to establish the pattern, the pattern of things that will not change as you move from site to site, the pattern of things that will change as you move from site to site. And that helps to establish you at a perfect pace to go from 4 to 10, you know what I mean? Uh, if you're going any at any number beyond that, it's, it's just going to take the same amount of time, I think. But something that I've always noticed throughout doing these projects, and I hope I'm not alone here, but <laughs> by the time you're done 100 sites, site number one does not look like site number 100.
0: I mean, or it may look the same, but the way you got there was very different.
1: (laughs) So, so what I'm starting to do is just starting to make a habit of always saying we'll need to go back, and always revisit our pilot sites. We call them the pilot sites because the the templates that you that you establish throughout doing sites one, two, and three. Site one didn't have that same template built as site four. You know what I mean? You were still building it. So sort of just sort of going back and truing it up to really uh, uh, the rest of the project um, is something that I I think just needs to happen from now on Or you always end up with these one or two site outliers that don't fit your template because, well, you were still developing the template at the time.
0: Right, and you spoke about the idea of the things that that are different from site to site and what is consistent. And, And the delta between sites, the the amount of change is directly related to how long a project like that is going to take. Because the the more consistency you can drive, so if you're you're managing a a network of any size, if you've got, you know, 10 branches or beyond of office locations, the more consistent you can make it, the faster these things go when you need to make a change across the board. Because the more that you can say, I did it at one, and I know that's true across the board. Mm -hmm. Now, the real world says that that is uncommon. It's not a likely picture to run into. I can tell you from my experience of going into many environments with teams of well-meaning and and talented engineers, the business sometimes demands things are different. And like for, as a company, you have to know, you have to have that realistic gut check picture. How much variability is there between these sites? Because that's going to drive a lot of that determination of how much time this is going to take. Uh, because in these projects, when you when you when you sit down to do it, once you develop that template, oftentimes that template, a lot of it can be automated. <laughs> like, I can press a button and it does all the things I need to do. Because once you understand the change completely, and you know what has to be done, and you can depend on the fact that you know the, the things are going to be in place to do it, all of a sudden it's either just I'm a robot just executing a series of tasks, or I can make the computer be the robot for me and just go and do what needs to be done, and we can make this thing super fast. Well, of course the variability is what kills that. And so I think we we hear this consistently when we talk about automation is that, you know, that (laughs) repeatability is one of those things that matters, Uh, but it's not just about automation. It's about any type of thing where you're having to do repetitive change. And I just say that with enough scars to kind of go, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the, when I say scars, some of the networks that I've built, like, you know, as, as I was coming up, I know I won't build them that way now. (laughs) Like I'm very ardent about being, you know, repeatable, but, uh, but sometimes the business just wins. We don't always get to say, sometimes the business need says that the sites are just very different. Yep. And then, then you get to, as an engineer, go back to your business and say, well, this is what that means. Yep. When we go to make changes, it's going to cost more. When we go to implement new technologies, it's going to take longer or whatever, right? Like that's just, that's the trade-off. That's cool. Um, my work has not been that exciting. <laughs> not doing major 100-site rollouts, but I'm doing some cool stuff for lately. Um, I shifted. I've been doing it, you know, when I, when I joined up at, at uh, WWT, I was doing a lot with SD-WAN. I'm actually coming up on a year here soon. Um, it's It's just flown by. But um, I was doing a lot with SD-WAN Enterprise Networks. That's the space that I've lived in for quite some time. I've had an opportunity to step in and, and kind of bridge into cloud networking now. And that's kind of been a, a fun little experience to uh to kind of get my feet wet in that. Now, I know there's lots of people listening who's like, I've been doing that all the time because you've had to. So, yeah, Jordan's coming along finally. He's, he's finally getting <laughs> into the cloud. Uh, the thing about working in a var as a as as a consultant, you tend to have your niche. You have the thing that you do and the thing that you do well, and that's what people pay you for. And so it's really hard to get out. So while I love automation, all the things with automation, I don't get to do a lot with it. And um, very interested in cloud, and I've I've definitely put time into it on the side. But I think everybody understands the difference between uh, practical experience and. I've read about it on the side, like there's a there's a big chasm between those two positions. And so I'm I'm able to put some some meat on the bones, if you will, to some of the things that I've known to be true. Um, but I've been doing a lot of work actually with, uh, I guess some people are calling it software defined cloud interconnect, it has to do with multi-cloud. Um, a couple of the leading vendors in the space are uh, like Alkira and Aviatrix, if you guys are familiar with them. And uh, so doing some some work in in building and designing some labs around how to to be able to demonstrate those capabilities. But in doing that, we're building just a real life corporate network. Um, But it's a lot of fun, too, because I'm getting getting my feet wet on some like things like Terraform, things I don't normally get to touch. Um, I get to pull out the Python chops a little bit here, too, because I'm I'm scripting up some things. And so. uh, So, yeah, that has been fun. Just uh, interesting things since uh, the pandemic started that, hey, there's uh, there's. There's some fun stuff too, right? It's not all, it's not all the pressure and the and the challenges and all of that. Uh, you had a very cool project with Palo Alto. I'm I'm excited about this work that I'm doing. Um, it's uh it's it's just interesting stuff. And there's the, the rate of change in networking right now is just phenomenal. Yeah. And so uh, if you're not afraid of that and you're willing to get on that wave, there's so much to learn. Like there's no shortage of things to go to to go figure out. And, and it's just, uh, it's great for people who like to, like to do that. Uh, I, I'm becoming slower at it.
1: <laughs> I used yeah. to be
0: able to, like, so I guess it's a mix. Um, I think there's two things that happen when I say I'm getting slower at it. I think the bar is raised. So as I've matured as an engineer from what was early on and what I considered knowledge to what I consider knowledge now, I think the bar is much, much higher. The expectation before I'll call myself uh, knowledgeable uh, I don't like using the word expert, but I mean, like, if I can go out and be consultative in this technology uh, with credibility, that bar is a lot higher than it was ten years ago, right? Because ten years ago, competence was <laughs> was measured by a different scale. Uh, but the other side is, I think that there's only so much capacity to learn new things, and so there's a, there's always a challenge to kind of dig into those, and and so the cloud networking stuff is is interesting because I'm I'm having to get back into that cycle of learning. Uh, Which is, uh, which is good. I mean, you're always learning, but it's, it's, it's a bit of the fire hose, which is, I'm sure most people listening are completely familiar with. As we mentioned at the top of the show, NVIDIA is sponsoring today's episode. NVIDIA is the leader when it comes to open networking. And one of the things that differentiates them is a focus on automation. At its core, NVIDIA Cumulus Linux extends Linux to make it a fully featured networking operating system. This means that there is native integration with common and well-tested automation tools, with no need for translation into any sort of proprietary management interface, unifying the tools and processes established for Linux server management to manage your network devices as well. Now, that alone is a huge step forward when compared to other solutions in the market, but NVIDIA takes it one step further by offering the first fully packaged, production-ready, open-source, push-button automation solution. This makes open networking easier to deploy and manage, enabling infrastructure-as-code models free from disparate untested scripts and proof-of-concept playbooks now one of my favorite capabilities of nvidia cumulus is the ability to fully simulate your environment with nvidia's operating system being built on linux it's made specifically to run on x86 infrastructure and modeling your network to validate new automation processes or changes in your environment is both easy and reasonable to accomplish now if all this sounds interesting to you you can experience NVIDIA Cumulus in the cloud for free. Head on over to cumulusnetworks.com slash ncpod. Again, that's cumulusnetworks.com slash pod. So uh, similar to work, but not necessarily work, you did a capture the flag at DEF CON. You told me this the other day we were chatting, and you told yeah. me you did a capture the flag at DEF CON first. I didn't even know that you were doing anything at DEF CON. Um, and capture the like, flag at DEFCON is a fun little thing, but they've they've kind of changed it. Like back in the day, like I feel like I'm the old guy now. <laughs> uh, I went to DEFCON all of one time, so it's not like I'm like a, a huge. Um, I followed DEFCON and the security world for pretty much my entire career. Security was actually the thing that uh, gave me the itch to get into technology to begin with, uh, but. I've only been to DEF CON once. Capture the Flag then was just like one big event, right? There was one Capture the Flag event. There were all these teams and they were like very serious, capable hackers who kind of went after this puzzle to go capture the flag. I've been seeing, I don't know if it's just this year or the past few years, it seems like they've kind of been broadening the scope of Capture the Flags. They've kind of been getting into very specific areas and kind of doing Capture the Flags in different ways. Like I know that they had one for voting machines, I think last Mm -hmm. year. And I'm mm-hmm, sure they mm-hmm. did this year as well, uh, which is fantastic. There's so much to be learned from that, uh, <laughs> and it's not just the traditional like you know sit behind a computer and hack into the hack into the the server that's on the other side of this virtual mm-hmm. network. So, what capture the flag did you participate in? How in the world did you get involved with this? <laughs> and how'd you do?
1: Like yeah, because
0: the events happen. So
1: yeah, so so. No, that's awesome. I, I have been a huge fan of DEF CON for, I don't know, since I, before I got into this industry. I mean, like like you mentioned, I got into this industry because of security, because I thought hacking was cool and that's what I wanted to do. And what I found was, is I understood networking better than other people. And so I excelled at that, um, just out of the group of people that I was with at the time. So DEF CON is something that I've never attended. Uh, because of COVID, DefCon was actually canceled this year. Um, Which and is, so we it's just a
0: running joke.
1: It's a running joke right. that every year someone online starts a rumor that DefCon is canceled, and it DEF never CON
0: is. Actually, was canceled this year. Yeah,
1: <laughs> DefCon was canceled this year. But so what they did was they called it Safe Mode with Networking. I don't know if you guys remember, like the uh, Windows XP, Windows ninety eight used to be able to boot into Safe Mode or Safe Mode with Networking. So. So they did it all That's virtually awesome. online and they did a really good job. And you're right, the the CTFs now at DEF CON, first of all, they're world famous uh, at DEF CON. They are the CTFs that you want to win. You want to get the black badge at a CTF. The wireless CTF is amazing at DEF CON. Um, if you say you've won uh, the wireless CTF at DEF CON, that carries some clout, you know what I mean? Um, and there are lots of other um, CTFs as well, uh, you mentioned the voter hacking. There's the car hacking uh, for okay. all, of the, all of the cool tech that's in cars um, now, and they've run that for a few years, I think. Um, there's lots of stuff. The IoT Village, there's lots of cool opportunities. Um, a coworker of mine, uh, myself and a coworker got involved with a project, and we needed to start brushing up on a technology. And my coworker turned me on to this and said, hey, you know, there's a CTF at DEF CON. And this was like the next week. So I forget DEF CON was in August. I forget uh, when it was. But a week beforehand, we got tasked with a project to start researching this thing. And it just so happens there's a CTF about it. So the CTF I joined was the Maritime CTF. It was called Hack the Ship. Um, It was really awesome, a really cool event, really fun, and put on by a great team. Um, They did a great job facilitating uh, the event. Uh, It was all remote, and it was very cool. So um, basically, what it was was, uh, if I had to try and sum it up, it was data analysis on NMEA protocol, NMEA two thousand protocol. So, um, a, as this well, is a at,
0: specific protocol. Yeah, in the maritime space.
1: Right. So this is a specific protocol in the maritime space. NMEA is the National Marine Electronics Association. Oh, that would give it um, away yeah <laughs> and uh and it's uh, a namia 2000 is the successor to namia 0183 which is more of a CAN bus style protocol which with a- a yeah
0: with
1: with ascii sentences country. yeah Namiya 2000 2k okay, is all binary so they're able to they're able to um communicate much more different data right uh, within the same payloads and um and it was really awesome so so what they did was is they had a ship's console okay a ship's console with uh um throttle um thrusters uh g p s uh waypoints compasses uh tilt and 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 all kinds of sensors and everything okay and it's on this stand up console like something from like uh you know in the background of star trek when you see like all the all the dials and gauges and everything up on the wall and there's someone standing there it's really cool and um and they streamed that with a webcam live okay and then what you had to do was get in to that ship console's network and cause change on it that you could see in the webcam right so that's this is how they facilitated it remotely
0: that's really it was, cool
1: it was a lot of fun. So if you could change the direction the boat was moving, you could see it on the GPS panel on the live feed, the boat would be turning on the screen. You know, If you could uh, engage the throttle without a human touching it and the, make the throttle move up uh, because of autopilot or, uh, or speed, then you could actually see it, and you can see the speed start to increase. Um, it was very cool. This is all very new to me still. Um, this is only about a month old. And to me and my coworker who we did this together, we, we were only about a week into learning about this. And here we are at a CTF.
0: So was that intimidating? And, I mean, like, how many teams?
1: Okay, so uh, I, I think they had 40 registered slots. I think there were 40 registered teams. Okay. And me and my coworker were unsure how we were doing. Um, day one was a qualifier to allow you to compete into day two. Okay. And basically, you got a data file. And you had to answer some questions and submit your flags to them in a YAML. (laughs) And um, we did, I'd never seen this data before. I don't know what it is. He never saw it before. We are really grasping at straws here. And we ended up submitting some answers in a YAML file. And I think we ended up as one of the only teams that was able to actually get information out of it. Um, (laughs) i think out of 40 teams at the end of the two or three days of participating only four or five teams posted any points wow so we ended up taking second place from this uh, competition where we were in first place you know throughout parts of the competition and we only got bumped down to second towards the end um but like everything that was an awesome learning experience it was quite intimidating doing it right i'm over there thinking that like there are some like crazy hackers back there cracking this ship (laughs) uh you know I, i don't know what they're doing and it turns out that you know actually you know a couple of engineers a security engineer and a network engineer uh together can actually do pretty well. At understanding a completely foreign protocol um, and for me that's what it came down to um, I really took to the study of the protocol throughout all of my networking career Wire, I, I live and die by Wireshark right um, it's 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 an amazing tool I love looking at packets payloads I love understanding the structure of it and this is a direct parallel to that. In fact, the NMEA protocol is built much like an Ethernet frame would be. I mean, there's a header. There's a, there's a footer. There's a CRC at the end. Um, there's a source. There's a destination. There's something called a PGN, and I can't remember what that acronym stands for, but the PGN in the NMEA 2000 protocol acts like your, um, your packet um, ID number. So like uh, uh, EIGRP is uh, protocol 88, OSPF is 89, TCP is six, UDP is 17. There are PGNs and that identifies what is going to be in the payload, what the format of the payload is is gonna be. Yeah, what type of data is there? And uh, that's what I mean, sort of drawing these parallels between my networking world and now I'm looking at this completely foreign protocol and I'm like, wait, I. I get it. Yeah, this makes sense. You know what I mean? Well, Let's cut all this data up and I'll start answering these questions. And that's basically what we did. And and, and we actually did really well. And uh, since then, after, it led to a whole research of me and my coworker now at work. We're doing a project for another customer involving the NMEA 2000 protocol. So now we have to really research it. So we went and bought some equipment that you can buy from marine electronics distributors. We spent a few hundred dollars and we're able to interface that with a a USB um, adapter. And we're able to read and write data from the bus. And that was pretty cool because, like you, I don't get to touch Python or automation very often, even though it's the new hotness, even though it's the old hotness now, I guess. (laughs) Um, But I am very much a noob at Python, so I'm struggling to get by. But, um, But I whipped up about 300 lines of Python over the past few days, which enables me to read from the bus and inject False messages onto the bus, so kind of like a man in the middle and an injection attack. Right. Although it's not truly a man in the middle because this is a, it's a bus network, so You're it's all broadcast. It yeah, yeah, yeah. You just put it on, and and the messages are really simple. They're between like twenty and twenty nine bytes for most of them, so so they're really small. So I mean, it just it just made it you know really having the networking experience and background made understanding this and working with it um, easier. I was going to say really easy, but it wasn't easy. No. It took a lot of time, but no, it made but, it I mean, easier. I it's,
0: it's, you know, when you talk about, you know, this looks like stuff that you're familiar with. Not every networker takes and and not every engineer takes everything down to the packet level all the time, right? Like Or to the frame level. I mean, the reason why you had a decent time is because you spent some time in Wireshark. You understand how these things actually look as they go across the wire. Like you understand what that looks like in Ethernet. And you go, oh, that looks really familiar. Right. And and this is the reality of most technology. Right. This is the, you know, RFC 1925 rule 11. Right. There's really nothing new. We just take the same thing, call it something different and put it out there. Um, whether it worked last time or not is my favorite caveat to that. But uh, but yeah. But I mean, this is that. Right. This is these guys needed a, a bus protocol. So they created one, but they weren't going to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Um. they they took from established knowledge and made their own. And so that allows you to go in and say, okay, I see I see what you're doing here, yep. <laughs> right? Yep. But you have to have that fundamental knowledge to be able to do that. And I wonder how many other teams had that, right? The, the, the idea that there was a networker on, because it's a security event. It's it's not targeted towards us as network engineers. Right. Uh, you mm-hmm. have to have a bend towards security or understand that world to some level to see the appeal of a conference like DEF CON at all. Um, yeah. And so, you know, uh, I wonder how many of the teams had somebody with that level of depth on networking. I, I'm not thinking there's a lot of CCIEs involved. <laughs> <laughs>
1: probably not. Actually, uh, I don't think the teams were very big on this one. Um, this this CTF certainly wasn't as popular as like the the wireless uh, CTF that they have, which is probably one of the biggest events they have at DEF CON, I mm-hmm. think. I, I'm just calling that out based on the amount of social media press it gets. Um, but, uh, but, but this was an awesome learn. I mean, just, it happened last month. This was an awesome learning experience. And now what I'm able to understand, if I was to take that CTF tomorrow after gaining the month's worth of research and knowledge that I have now, it would be no question. I mean, it would be, we'd be in first place and we'd be like, we'd be done on day one.
0: It was like a challenge. You know? The winning team was there. That they, you, they, you know? They- Skill up, because next year you're coming for them.
1: <laughs> but uh, but it was an amazing learning experience, and that's what these events are really for. And and I think the gamification of it makes it more exciting, and that's why DefCon and a lot of these big security conferences have so many CTFs, and and that becomes one of the biggest draws to the event. No, yeah. is because is because the gamification is you feel awesome when you, first of all, when you win, but when you get to participate and you get to get one of the flags, even just getting one flag in one event, you, you just, you feel like you're on top of the mountain. I know because this isn't the only CTF that I've played. I've actually played in, in lots of CTFs for the local security B-sides conferences. And, um, and I'm a huge fan of CTFs. I'm a huge fan of the gamification sort of way of learning this. And I'm actually a little bit disappointed that the networking world doesn't have, you know, a very popular, a very common way to do this. This you know, one thing
0: you're thinking is like, how do we do this? Like, how do we, as a networking industry, kind of game up an idea? It? Well, we should yeah. talk about that idea because I I, I'm interested in that. I do think that security has a very interesting appeal to it, and and the reason being is because you're breaking in. Whereas with networking, you're not breaking it. You know, like you're building something correctly yeah. or you're fixing something. It doesn't have the same... Um, yeah, it doesn't have the sex appeal. Right. It's it, You don't get the yeah. same dopamine hit from fixing AI yeah. GP as you do as to breaking into the ship's network and making the ship do something it's not supposed to do. Like, it's not... It's definitely not the same. But it would be interesting if we could make it the same because I agree with you because, I mean, there's I'm uh, a whole sea of uh, psychologists out there who would agree with this because we see this in everything, that gamification is both a way to learn and a way to stay engaged. Um, it's it's interesting that you bring that up. But yeah, Capture the Flags are awesome. I remember like when I was there, it was the first year they did the, um, and, and again, probably dating myself because it was a long time ago, they did the uh, social engineering Capture the Flag. Mm. Um, and they had to yeah. actually shut it down <laughs> because they got it got a little bit too close to home because they were running it against real companies. Um, and so the idea is like they had the list of companies they were supposed to call and... Uh, they got to the end, like they had the person in a booth, soundproof booth, and you could hear what they were talking about, but in the booth, they couldn't hear the crowd mm, and mm. Um, they had a, a noise free way to call companies. And it was, you know, and they were using, you know, fortune 500 companies and somebody got to the point where they were getting a help desk person to read them a password over the phone for something oh. like, like click. Nope, that's not going to happen. So I, I remember that pretty, pretty, uh, clearly cause it was like, Oh, that's, uh, unintended consequence there uh but like again it's that it's that allure of, of of getting in and and accomplishing the thing that other people can't necessarily easily do um and and i definitely know that from at least at defcon man the capture flags are a big deal i like to see that it's yeah. getting out there and that there's a broader opportunity because when i was like seeing what was going on at defcon like it was very elite in that it was there was one capture the flag and it was purely about, you know, servers and networking and wired and they literally all sat in a, at the edge of a room and there was a scoreboard up on the wall and everyone yeah. went after it. And it was a multi-day thing. And like, it was, it was, it was impressive, but you could tell the teams that were there had put months of work into it. Like you, you couldn't just show up a couple days before compete and yeah. participate. It. you couldn't show up at the conference. This was something uh, you had to plan for. And, uh, and so it's cool to see that there's like these very niche things where people are participating in things that matter to them that, these things matter. I mean, I know the uh, when I saw that they were doing the voting one, that's one that really sat out to me just because of the fact that you know, like we have this push towards electronic voting machines, and I think it's probably a good idea in the long run. Um, but of course, you know, people who are involved in security understand just how insecure things really are. And so I go, uh, I still want the paper trail. I still want the things. And so like the more mature we can make that technology, the better off we all are. And that means breaking it, <laughs> right? Yep. That's the way you do it. And so a capture the flag there is pretty cool. Well, man, we're coming up. We're past, uh, I think we're around 50 minutes. So I think it's probably a good time to wrap this up before we uh before we go on too long. This was really fun. We have to do this more often, I think, where maybe not as structured. We have to figure out a way to do that. Um, But uh, before we go, it'd be a good opportunity for people to know where to find you online because you've got several places where people can find you.
1: Yep. Yep. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at show IP Interface Brief. and I'm on uh, YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Tony E C C I E. My blog hasn't been updated in a long time, but if you feel like reading some old articles, go there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you the address. Just yeah,
1: find <laughs> you'll find it.
0: I actually converted my blog. I decided I'm I'm moving everything over to Network Collective. We have the blog now that we started earlier this year. And so, don't go to my my name.net because that's well, unless you're interested in astrophotography, because that's what that space is now dedicated towards. I'm doing all my networking stuff with Network Collective. So, uh, and that was obviously not updated nearly enough. And that's part of the part of part of that reason is because if I am going to write, I'm going to write for for NC here. Uh, If you do want to find me, uh, I'm at bcjordal on Twitter and you can find me on uh, LinkedIn as well. Just search for me, Uh, those will probably be the best places to find me. I think I'm getting to the point of being fed up with Facebook. I think it's going to go away at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, I still have my account there and I still, you know, I kind of have the draw to come back, but I don't know. Um, And uh, so that's, that's where you can find me for the, for the show. Everything for the show is based off the website. So the best place for you to go is networkcollective.com. there. You can find, you know, like where we post our episodes You can subscribe directly to our RSS feed or you can find us at any of the podcast feeds that are out there that are the big ones. You can go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. We're on Spotify, all those places. It's easy to find us. Just search for uh, our name. If you want to chat with us and, and connect with us on social media, uh, Twitter is at netcollectivepc. Just search for Network Collective on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook for while we're there <laughs> because if I delete my personal account on Facebook, that's tied to the, uh, the personal one as well. So I don't know how long that will be there, but, uh, but yeah, so that's the places to find us. So Tony, this was really fun. I'm glad we could do it tonight. Yeah, listen. Uh, awesome. thanks, thanks to everyone who stuck with us on this. Uh, I don't think it was too rambling. We just kind of hit some stuff that was going on today. I think it was good, uh, but if it was rambling, my apologies. Thanks for sticking with us, and uh, thanks for listening. And we'll uh, we'll see you next time.